starting with, with Luke chapter 9. Uh, going to do the story of the transfiguration. You do need to remember what happened originally, uh, I'm sorry, um, right before this. In Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27, he tells them, I'm going to die. You need to know I'm going to die. You need to understand why I'm dying. And you need to keep this quiet. So we're going to do that real quick and then get into the transfiguration because you don't want to just chop this up. Verse 21 of Luke 9, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And that is that he is the Messiah. Uh, Peter had just confessed that he was the Messiah. The son of man, this everyday guy is what he's saying. That's what son of man means because we're all son of man. We're all son of, of men. But, uh, and Jesus is also called seed of woman, which I find lovely. He goes, this everyday guy has got to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This, um, this very painful reality here is that um, he says it has to happen. It's not like this is open to, to question. I, I, have to, I have to go through this. This is important. Now, they don't really get it at this stage, and nobody could blame them, because how could you, how could you get it? This, they've not been to Bible class and heard this story before. But then he warns them that following Jesus doesn't mean your kid's teeth will be straight, and your marriage will function, and your job won't go away. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now that should remind you of where we were a couple of weeks ago when we stopped this, because we talked about the fact that in, in many dramas, uh, somebody will have the nuclear codes, for example, that if the bad guy gets it, millions of people die. And so they say, no, no, I won't give them to you. And then they put a gun to your head and they go, well, here are the codes. And, and I always look at my wife and I say, people want to live too much. People are too dedicated to surviving one more day. We need to back away from this. And that's what Jesus says here. You've got to be ready to lose everything before you can deal with anything in being a Christian. Um, a friend of mine sent me a message a couple of days ago. He said, you know, I really didn't mean to give up this much for Lent. And it, it cracked me up because some of us give up something for Lent. Yeah, I, I give up something. My wife has given up something. Um, we didn't give up the same thing, which has made a unique challenge when you're locked in the same house with each other. But uh, I found myself doing a, without a lot of other things. Uh, Jesus says, this is going to happen. Deal with it. Be ready for it. But then God enters into a picture. There is a very real danger for preachers my age. Um, there are a couple of them. One is that we won't quit when we should quit. Uh, as in, you ought to allow, allow younger voices to be heard you allow the Holy Spirit to do new things that he's not going to do through you, that sort of thing. But here's, the, here's to me one of the biggest dangers is whenever we start talking in phrases like, this is one of the biggest dangers, or this is one of the greatest truths. When, I'm, when a guy gets older, and I'm sure this happens to women as well, but I, with guy, guys being so ego-driven, I think we're susceptible to this. We want to make sure we've left something lasting and enduring. And so a preacher will come and he'll say, I have found something. This is the most important thing. You have got to get this thing. I don't want to do that. 
That said, the Transfiguration is in a remarkable hinge point in history that it stuns me that we don't talk more about it. In isolation, however, the Transfiguration means nothing. So I'm not trying to indicate that I have found something no one else has found and that it's super, super important and it will change your life. But I do believe it will change our, our way of following Jesus if we pay attention to what's going on. So ready? Here we go. In the, in the British radio, they would always go, are you seated comfortably? Then I'll begin. Luke 9, verse 28. After eight days after this, Jesus said, uh, let me try it again, getting so excited. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him. Stop. It's all right to have best friends. It's all right. All my life, I've heard people, you know, especially in teen classes, they would say, don't form cliques or cliques. It's according to whatever country you're in. And don't do that. You're not, you're not supposed to have best friends. And I was told as a minister, you can't have best friends. Jesus did. Uh, he went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. This is why we call it the transfiguration. That's a human word to describe what was happening to Jesus. Something was going on there. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Do you remember the 11-part series we did? There will not be a quiz, so you can just nod your head, and I won't, I won't challenge you. On thin places. The Celts have always believed that the, the line between our world and the world of the spirit is three feet. That's, just, that's how close we are. And that at times, there are thinner places. We talked about birth, for example, and death being a thin place, and so many other things. <clears throat> they're entering a thin place where they're going to start seeing who Jesus, see Jesus as he really is. Not as a human, as the guy they walk with, they've heard him burp, they've heard him stumble on a word, they've seen him uh, be human. They're going to see something else that they need to see, that this isn't just another prophet, just another teacher, just another son of Moses and Elijah. Something's changing. His clothes even become bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Woo, there's a lot to unpack right here. Moses and Elijah show up. My question to Luke and to, to Mark and later to Peter, because Peter brings it up in his, his letters. How did you know? The Jews had a very strict rule. You could never make a sculpture or a painting, any depiction of a living human being or a dead human being, a living creature. They didn't do uh, big lion sculptors or the like. They were, it was such, you know, keep your eyes focused on God, that they were not allowed to do this. So there were zero people on earth that had any clue what Moses and Elijah looked like. But they knew, which would indicate they're entering this thin space where, as Paul says, uh, we shall know even as we are known. And when he talks in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about when that which is perfect will, has come, we'll understand. We, now we see is through a glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. These apostles, these three friends, have now entered into the thin place where they can reach through and touch God's realm, uh, we all know everything's his realm. Please just work with me in the metaphor. 
they, he can see, they can see all of this. This is stunning. But it's also stunning about who it is. <clears throat> if I got to pick any Old Testament creature to talk to, uh, it'd probably be Elijah, because Elijah's the John Wayne, and I really liked him. Uh, Elijah didn't go in there and just say, repent. You know, he actually took swords and went after the false prophets, and that makes a much better movie. Uh, very, very exciting. But Elijah stands for something here. Moses stands for something here. To the Jewish people of this day, and I, I would submit to the religious observant Jews of even today, this, this is your entire Marvel Comics universe, as I tend to call it. This is all of your heroes in your panth and pantheon. It is, it is absolutely the panoply of God right here. It is everything. These are your superhero supreme. Moses, because he represents the law. He represents the calling of the Jews, their formation into a family, and then into a nation, and this nation being the chosen people of God. Elijah represents all of the prophets, all of them. He was considered the greatest of the prophets by them. Uh, and I don't know if that was by God or not, but it was certainly by them. To the point where uh, the prophecies would say, whenever Jesus uh, comes again, it's the coming again of Elijah. So there's Moses and Elijah. These apostles right now would be in fan heaven. I've not met so many celebrities. I guess I have met a, a few, uh, but I don't have any great celebrity stories. I mean, my, my best one is actually just standing in the airport in Columbus, Ohio, waiting for my flight to go. When a door opens, it doesn't open. It's one of those doors that, you know, don't open this door, don't go near this door. It opens and a bunch of men come out in suits and they're frowny men. And one of them puts his hand on me and just pushes me up against the wall. I'm standing there. And just, it, it wasn't violent um, at the moment. It was a surprise. And as they're moving through, here comes this very tall, um, don't mean to be cruel. My first thought was just an, an ungangly looking woman. And it was um, Janet Reno, who at that time was Attorney General of the United States. And all these men were doing was, being, was doing their job. They were clearing the path and moving her through without being disturbed. I always tell people that's my celebrity sighting. I, I have nicer ones, but that was my favorite because it was kind of fun. Um, I don't know who I would see that would make me react like this unless it was Jesus himself. Um, but these guys are overwhelmed, all right? They're talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, that's the NIV. If any of you out there are, are looking at um, uh, the King James Version or the American Standard Version of 1901, several of these will say, uh, speaking to them about his death, which he was about to accomplish. I love that phrasing. It may even be truer to the words and the intention of Luke than this fulfillment thing. Um, some tasks are really hard and you're going to have to suffer to accomplish it. I'm not a runner. You know, Shanna and I have had fun back and forth about that because she is. I have a lot of friends that are runners and they'll do half marathons and they'll do marathons. And, and a couple I know, they even do triathlons. Um, our neighborhood does about twice a year what they call a fun run. And I've always told my wife that that does not exist. Um, you can have fun or you can run, but 
let us not mix our terms, Shanna would disagree. And she's really smart, so we'll, we'll, we'll listen to her too. This, whenever you do a marathon, you've accomplished something. You have accomplished, and it was painful, and it was difficult, and you might look back on it and say, well, that was a hoot, and I really enjoyed it, and I want to do it again. I, I, I really do understand that, but wow, what an accomplishment. They were talking to Jesus about the death he was about to accomplish. That indicates it's going to be tough. Well, he had just said that in the, the paragraphs before this one. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, we don't know exactly what the sleepy here means because the sleepy could be that they were just physically tired. But I think at this stage, we have to use a different definition of the word sleepy because at this time, they're seeing Moses and Elijah. They're not gonna lay back there going, well, okay, fair enough, I'm tired. No, I think this is kind of woozy. This is nearly becoming faint. They're, they're being overwhelmed with what they are seeing. Who could blame them, right? Uh, they became fully awake. Then the two men standing with them, as the men were leaving, they don't say anything. They're just, they are in the British vernacular gobsmacked. They're just kind of slack jawed. And it wasn't until they were leaving that Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. In other words, this is amazing. This is fantastic. I'm so glad you brought us here to meet your friends. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, let's talk about this. Um, the older versions here will say three altars. And in this case, they're wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean altar. It does mean shelter. Although, I understand why they chose the word shelter. The word really means tents. I'll let you do this on your own. Um, so you've got extra time this week, probably, unless you're locked in the house with kids that aren't going to school, in which case, you know, peace be unto you. Um, look up Festival of Tents, Jewish Festival of Tents. If you are new to um, looking up things, Google um, is pretty good, but put quotations around Jewish Festival of Tents, or you will get 1,500 advertisements for tents. So put, uh, if you put quotation marks, it locks in that phrase, right? It was a um, very sacred holiday, and this was the holiday time for that. And you would build these tents for your family to worship in, for there to be prayer in. This was um, a very sacred thing. And so when they see these guys, they say, let us set up three tents for you. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, you and I went to Bible class. We went to Sunday school. We went to vacation Bible school. We learned how to be a booster and not be like a rooster. We learned all that stuff. They did not know that stuff. We know that whenever you talk about Jesus, that you put Jesus higher than anybody else. They didn't know that. And you might say, but wait, they knew he was the son of God. Peter just said that a few verses ago, eight days ago. Absolutely. But what they did not know was that the Messiah was higher than Moses and Elijah. We know that, but sometimes we act like we don't. And that's why I want us to really understand the transfiguration today. They thought they were complimenting Jesus because Moses and Elijah are up here, right? They're the highest you can go as a human being. We could add in Abraham and such, but to them, 
Abraham was, was all a part of the Moses story and then Elijah's story. So, and so they're saying, we want to bring you up here and treat you as high as we can treat anybody. They thought they were complimenting Jesus. Now, some scribe back in the first few hundred years was astounded by this and wrote in the margin, he didn't know what he was saying about Peter. Over the years, that moved from the margin into the text. So you may find it in, in, um, in brackets, or you might find it in italics, which would indicate it wasn't in the original, or there might be a little footnote. Sometimes things from the margins moved in, but not a one of them ever changed the flow of the story. But I, I can almost see this, this monk or the scribe, the Essene, whoever it was, going, whoa, Peter was clueless. And eventually it gets in. The, most of the time, the things that move in from the margins are things such as behold or wow. That gets put in. So they think they are complimenting Jesus. We're going to raise you up to that panoply of God, not that big pantheon of, of, of the gods. They would never phrase it that way. You will be equal with them. Amazing. And while Peter was still speaking, God did not let that hit and there be an awkward silence. God, in, this is so important, God interrupted Peter as soon as he saw where Peter was going. A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Why would you be afraid? Well, I guess sudden clouds might frighten you. But in the Old Testament, the appearance of a sudden cloud at a holy moment meant the cherubs were there. The seraphs were there. Those are actually two different beings, it seems, in Scripture. Um, in, the, in the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter is amazing. Ezekiel is a broken man. Uh, he wanted to study for the priesthood. He got part of the way there, and then Jerusalem fell. He was taken into captivity. Now he lives in a refugee camp, and it's, it is squalor. It is awful. He is out by something the Bible calls the River Chibar, which at that stage was really just a drainage ditch of sewage, bad water, and junk. So he's out there in the desert. All of his hopes are dashed. His dreams are gone. He will never access the temple again. He will never become a priest. What is he to do with his life? Well, actually, he thinks his life is over. But he looks out onto the desert and he sees a cloud approaching, but it's not a cloud. It's making noise, and there are things in the cloud. There is movement. This is a living set of beings, another world approaching him through the cloud. I'll let you read it for yourself. It is an amazing chapter, and some of you might actually want to just you know, ditch the class and go read it, but if you can hang in for another 24 minutes or so, you know, we'll, we'll turn you loose. But who am I to tell you to listen to me instead of Ezekiel? I will tell you that if you keep reading Ezekiel, he becomes less clear. But chapter one is brilliant. And, and any time that God shows up in a special way on a holy day, the cloud goes first. These beings had, the Bible said that they had six wings and they had four different faces. Please understand all of this is a human being trying to use the language that they've got to explain what cannot be explained. It's rather, 
uh, it's like rather like trying to explain quantum physics to somebody who's had no physics. And that's fine. People are brilliant people and, and they're experts in other things. And there, there's one writer who, who really tries hard on this. And I actually love this stuff. Uh, he has a book called, for example, Alice in Quantum Land, where he tries to use the story of, uh, of Alice in Wonderland to show you quantum realities. And he's somewhat successful, but that's exactly what Ezekiel's doing. These beings, he says, they turn so fast, no matter which way you go, they're always facing you. You cannot outmaneuver these beings. And they go ahead of God. Please allow me to use inadequate human language as kind of like a bodyguard. And the forward observers, they enter first, establish the area, and then God enters in. You see this at the opening of the temple. You see this at special moments like this. The cloud hits. The apostles immediately know this. You know, I'm getting chills now because we thought Moses and Elijah was great, but God has just sent his praetorian guard, his secret service into the area. Uh, by the way, you would normally also have earthquake, lightning, uh, strange flashes of light. That's already there with, with Jesus' clothes and his transfiguration. Everything is already out of focus. The apostles are already woozy. They're, they're trying to understand what they're seeing, which is beyond human understanding. And then, boom, they realize God is entering the room. What do you do when, when God is entering the room? A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When that voice was spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. It just done. Zip, they're back in the real world now. We call it the real world, the physical world. Stunned. Jesus um, usually had to tell the apostles, don't talk about this. Luke says the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what, what they had seen. How different is that? If you're downtown Nashville and you see Blake Shelton at the restaurant, you'll probably tell some people. You might even take a sur surreptitious picture or go over and ask for a, um, a, um, uh, an autograph or the like. You'll probably tell somebody that you saw them, right? I, in Nashville, Nashville's a different place. In LA, celebrities get mobbed. In Nashville, they get waved at. You know, that, it, so it's a bit different. Um, people have asked me from LA, they say, how different is it in, in, in Nashville? And I'll talk about, well, they're more friendly and they don't mob you. If you want to just eat with your family, you can eat with your family. Um, and that's generally true. And I've also told them that if they see an old homeless woman to be very nice, that's Steven Tyler, because um, he has moved into the area and very easily confused with an old homeless woman. Uh, he also uh, will come and sit at your table for no particular reason. I've had a couple of friends that they were just down on South Broadway or, or Printer's Alley eating, and this man uh, with rags in his hair and such sits down and starts talking to him. Guess what? They talked about it. The disciples did not because their entire world had just been upended. It wasn't because they saw something wonderful. It was because everything they thought they knew had now been changed. 
again, as I opened this, I don't want to make the old preacher mistake of saying, I have found something and you must know this because it is the most important thing. No, but it's really important. It's Acts 2.38 important. It, it's really important because there are going to be times when we listen to Moses and we're confused. We'll read the book of Joshua, for example, and we're confused. Now, I've told you the story before that um, the second year I was here, I've always spoken at summer celebration. I'm not, um, I'm not this year because we're supposed to be away. Listen, I, I'm pretty sure by July, you know, people will be flying places, but let's hope so. Uh, I'm not ready for retirement. This being in the house is not good. Uh, back to the story. Uh, I love summer celebration, but that particular summer celebration, they hadn't called me to speak. They, they like for me to speak because I'll speak at the last session. You know, I don't care. And because I'm free, I think, uh, is mainly it. But I didn't really get excited about that year because the story was Joshua. And I'm going, how do you make Joshua a nice thing for families to come talk about for a week? Joshua is a brutal book, period. Well, about three weeks before summer celebration, Scott Sager calls me and he goes, oh, I forgot to get in touch with you. Can you speak? And I was going, okay, sure. He says, well, it's Joshua. And I said, yeah, I know. And he assigned me the story of Rahab. And he said, you've got 17 minutes. I went, sorry? He says, well, every speaker takes a chapter. We got to get through it. And so you're taking that chapter. And then right after you is John Mark Hicks. I'm going, this is not, I'm not having fun yet. Uh, I don't want to speak right before one of the great theological minds of our time. By the way, right before I got up, they introduced Leonard Allen in the crowd saying, he's now joined Lipscomb faculty. I turned to Cammie and I said, well, what are they going to do now? Say, oh, and there's the Apostle Paul. I, I was completely outclassed at this stage. Besides, what am I going to say? Um, two spies entered the kingdom. They, next scene, they're in a prostitute's house. Um, I have no idea what the decision tree was, but there they are. And by the way, don't, don't try, I, I'm aware that the Old Testament term can also mean an innkeeper, but in the New Testament, when they talk about her, they only use a term for prostitution. So let's, can't get off the hook. Don't know how they got there, but there they are. The spies say to the prostitute, if you lie, God will bless you. She lies and God blesses her. Do you see why we don't use this story in Veggie Tales? We don't use this story in Vacation Bible School. You can read some in Moses and get very upset in Joshua. Go into that town and kill everybody. Leave no human alive. Um, that's hard to handle. And I've had people, I've read many, many books by people trying to explain this as, well, they had it coming. You know, it was really, really bad. And if those kids had grown up without a parent, then that had been awful. They'd been sold to slavery, but it's better that they die. I find all of those excuses repugnant. I absolutely do. To, to try to say, well, killing them is the best thing could happen to them. And it doesn't matter if they were innocent or not, they were in the group. Um, that sounds very much like the, the crusaders that attacked a Christian town and when told that there were Christians in the town, the religious leader at the time said, kill them all, God knows his own. 
that's horrific. So if you get confused and you wonder, is this what God is like? Go look at Jesus. Because according to Jesus and according to Hebrews, Jesus is what God looks like, sounds like, acts like. Jesus is what God thinks like. If you get confused. Now, by the way, just as a, a real quick plug-in back there, there is no indication in history of any of those genocides taking place. Not a one. So am I saying the Bible lies? No, I'm saying the Bible talks like people talked in the time. And in the Middle East, they still do. Do you remember um, whenever they were going after Saddam Hussein in the first war, he said, they were going to be the mother of all battles and you were all going to die. And that's just the way they talk. And you know, we would kill everybody. And they would go on saying, we have defeated them and they are running. I'll never forget. They had a red haired information minister. Do you remember that? And, and he was actually on camera saying all of these lies. CNN is lying. There is no war. The Americans were vanquished. They're not in their territory. And you look behind him and you see tanks coming in that are American. That's the way they talked. If you look in Joshua, every tribe they say they wiped out completely shows up within two or three chapters again. It's the way they talk. It's not inaccurate. It's not a lie. It's just the way they talked. We talk like that too, all the time. I just did it there on purpose. All the time. Nobody does anything all the time. But we use phrases. They did too. So if you get confused and an atheist comes up to you and says, this thing is full of murder and rape and all sorts of awful things. Well, two things to remember. One, description is not approval. Just because God tells you something happened doesn't mean that God liked it and that that's what he wanted. Calvinists try to say God planned everything and that gets them into all kinds of troubles here. Makes God a murderer, an accessory to rape and everything else. Do not be a Calvinist. The, um, uh, and if there are any Calvinists out there who want to write me scathing letters, don't because evidently God in his great wisdom decided I wasn't going to be a Calvinist. So who are you to fight that? But they'll say all this evil in there. Well, description is, does not mean approval. Plus, you have to understand how they describe things and how we don't describe things in those terms. But you also have to go look at Jesus because the Bible doesn't says you don't get your morality from Moses. You get it from Jesus. You don't get the way that you deal with violence from the world. You get it from Jesus. You don't get the way you look at a nation from Moses. You get it from Jesus. Well, what about Elijah? Well, Elijah said some tough things, but what about the prophets? Because he was a stand-in for all the prophets. If you really want to get your head turned around, read Ezra, then read Amos, then read Ezra again. Ezra was mean. And he, would, he said, if you're married to somebody who's not a Jew, and you've got three or four kids, send them out into the desert. Let them die. You cannot be married to them anymore. You have no obligation. It was sinful for you to be married. You go to Amos, he goes, no. You go to Malachi, he goes, no. You read the prophets, and they will be fighting each other. And so the expression I've used for years is that the Old Testament is an argument about God. Jesus settles the argument. God wouldn't even let Peter develop his, his idea of let's raise Jesus up to this high level. He cut him off and said, this is my son. This is who I have chosen. You listen to him. Yes, sir. Now, if I may get 
in a lot of trouble now with people who might be watching this later. Fourth Avenue people won't be a problem with this. We understand we focus on Jesus. David Lipscomb himself, back in the 1800s, wrote that when you read something of Paul and you are confused and you don't know why would he say that about women or why would he say that about the Cretans or David Lipscomb said you have to remember that Paul was a man trying to apply what he knew about Jesus to different situations that he faced and we needed to always remember that if we were confused go back and look at Jesus well I said that the first six months I was at Fourth um, Avenue, and about mid 2014, whenever that hit the internet, because somebody recorded it, we were shelled for three months with hate mail, letters of disfellowship, and Gospel Advocate, which I didn't even know was still being printed, referred to me as a heretic. I sent to the editor of the Gospel Advocate, who I've known for a very long time, uh, he never brings that up, but I've known him for a very long time. I sent him the quote by David Lipscomb, who was the founder of the Gospel Advocate. The same thing I had said. Never heard back. And that said, I grew up knowing Paul in and out. What about you? I grew up being an expert on Paul, but I knew almost nothing about Jesus except for vacation Bible school stories, or they would use a bit of his story grab a moral, and then wrap some law of Paul around it. We were much more Paulicians than we were Christian. By the way, there was an early Christian group that called themselves the Paulicians. At least they were honest, right? Does, am I speaking down about Paul? Are you kidding me? He did a lot more than I ever would have been able to do, uh, doing it right, doing everything he had. He laid his entire life on the line. I'm sorry, but I elevate Paul very, very highly as a man being filled with the Spirit, trying to model Christ. But just like Elijah and Moses, Jesus is up here. We're down here. Years ago, um, at the Fried Hardeman lectureships, this is back when it's still Fried Hardeman College, at the lectureships they do, I think it's every February, the highlight is open forum. Everybody gathers in the biggest room, and that's changed over the years as they've added buildings. And back in the day, they would have Gus Nichols and Guyane Woods sit up there because these were really our potentates. They were our, the ones who have the answers. And I'm not knocking the guys. They lived their life the best they could, and they did a lot of good. I'm knocking the whole concept of we have questions about God and the right, and, and our fellowship puts allowed or not. So let's ask these two people, and they'll say. Well, I remember one time where they had invited up a man who had a different point of view, not normally accepted in the churches of Christ. The point of view is not important at this stage. And they very graciously uh, allowed him to say what he believed and why. There are open mics around the room where people come and line up to ask questions. This one lady beat feet to get to a mic, and she was agitated, and she was pointing. And she was halting a little bit, and she's full of emotion, poor, poor lady. But all she could get out is, I don't agree with you, and I think you're very wrong, but I don't know how to answer you. But, and then she named a prominent name in our church. She said, he's writing a book, and he's going to answer you. Oh, my goodness. What have we done? 
we brought that guy up to where his word will sort out what our tribe does. It's amazing that room did not fill with a cloud, lightning, and earthquake, and God cutting off the argument saying, no, I chose my son, you listen to him. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard of the expression, um, sorry, too Scottish here, expression, um, uh, red letter Christians. That became a thing back, uh, maybe in the 80s. Uh, in the 60s, you had Jesus freaks, and they were trying their best to focus on Jesus. Uh, I recently posted a song up on Facebook, and you don't need to go to it because I can't sing worth anything, but I like to play and mess around with it. Uh, written by a cousin of mine who was a 19-year-old um, Catholic nun at the time. And in 1974, she released an updated version, an upbeat version of the Lord's Prayer that came made number four in America, number one in Australia, and a lot of the British-speaking uh, territories. We weren't allowed to play it because it used instruments, but, you know, exciting stuff for us. Um, we're all able to take the words of Jesus and make them alive if we pay attention, if we listen to them, if we repeat them, if we go back to them. My, my cousin was one of the Jesus freaks, I guess, even though she was a Roman Catholic nun. Uh, and then in the 80s, the red letter Christians came. And I've never called myself a red letter Christian. And here's why. Because I think it can, it can seem like you're throwing away the rest of the scripture. In which case you become a modern day Marcionite. There was a leader, a bishop named Marcion, who very narrowly, is, uh, he almost became leader of the church at the time the church worldwide, because that's the way they'd set themselves up. Uh, but he thought that the Old Testament was morally repugnant. And so he just rejected it. And some of the books of Paul he accepted, and some he didn't. And some of the Gospels he accepted, and some he didn't. And so he formed a new non-Jewish canon. And he was called a heretic, and he was. He was divisive. He was wrong. The Old Testament stories are our stories. And Paul's work are our stories. We don't denigrate them. We hallow them. We learn them. We live through them. But when in doubt, look at Jesus. When in doubt, look at him. My mother is 88 years old. And I wish that I was as young as she is. She has some health issues. She's starting now to choke even when she swallows liquid. Uh, she has a deformity in the esophagus. At 88, they don't want to go in and do all that. And I'm always afraid that she's going to die, you know, but I call her and she just laughs and laughs. She goes, no, I'm fine. Everything's all right. It's good. She, and, and she's not in denial. She's just a happy person. But I know not to call my mom at, um, I think it's 1030 or 10. I don't call her till 11. And the reason is she's going to be watching The Price of Right. The Price is Right. She's watched that ever since I can remember. Every, every time we were in America, she was right in there. Uh, and she never, she didn't live in the time of video recorders and such. And so she never recorded it. It's got to be live. She watches. Uh, okay. And, and when I go there, I know not to talk during that time. That's the one sacred time for her. She is at church. Whenever um, they ask you to make an estimate on a price, the crowd starts yelling. 
as if the crowd knows, right? Which is more expensive? Ah, and everybody has an attitude. And you'll see people turn around and look at the crowd. And I'm going, really? Well, some of them will have a cheering section. But see, that's their fault. That, that's, I found the flaw in the system. They, um, they're looking at a group. And a group may not be of all one mind. I, I think about that a lot with Christians. We'll wonder, well, well, what about this? And we'll turn around to look at the group. Christians don't always agree. Look at Jesus. Will, will he answer every decision, every question you've ever... I don't think so. I think there are going to be some things you're going to just have to do by faith, thinking, I think this is what Jesus would do. Do it to the best of your ability, with open heart, honest mind. This is what Jesus would do. I think that that's the best answer. And I think the transfiguration tells us that's what God wants. He doesn't want you to neglect Moses and Elijah. Not at all. Jesus quoted from them rather extensively. What he wants you to do, though, is remember who the commander-in-chief is. Listen to all the voices. But we have a king. We have a messiah. Well, I'm not seeing questions pop up or the like, and I think we're coming to about the end of our time. This isn't the same, but I hope it's, it's close. We are considering even trying to do live communion, um, in which case we'll probably have to limit saying surnames A to H pop in the Zoom room at this time, and then this, because I think it only holds 100. But we really want to, we want to serve our church. We want you to know we're still active. The staff is still working every day, sometimes longer and harder because we have to do things now at a distance. But we're doing our best to take care of all of our charities, all of our works, and you. You're important to us. And when we're in doubt, we look at Jesus. And he had to go off by himself for 40 days, and he went off by himself a couple of times. So we'll have to do the same. God bless you. Thank you for joining. And, and special thank you to Holly for setting this up, hosting it, managing it. It is like an air traffic controller, and we do appreciate it. God bless you. Uh, I'm going to leave the meeting and, uh, oh, hi, there's Trace over there too. Trace, Trace is the backup engineer in case something happens to the, to the primary engineer. He is like the runner up to Miss America. If she cannot fulfill her duties, we will put Trace in there. Fair enough? All right. God bless. Cheerio. Go away.